Coming up on Golf Today, we hop back on the tractor as Architect Week continues and we speak to the people who have the biggest influence on the style of golf courses that you play or want to play. And how about the best of the year? We're talking drives, iron shots, putts. What shots made you do a double take in 2021? And we look ahead to the 2022 major championship schedule. What player is already in the hunt to win one or more? We have an idea. It's all ahead right here on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. And it's like a happy hour golf today. Yeah. 4 p.m. on the East Coast. Damon Hack, Shane Bacon. Damon, I was thinking about this yesterday. I wanted to throw this year away. We hadn't gotten yeah. to do a show yeah. this week, so I was kind of keeping it under wraps. Colin Morikawa has now moved into the it's a privilege to watch you play golf category mm. for me. I mean, watching him on Saturday at the Hero kind of put together that 64 with no bogeys. He's there, and the list is very, very short. This isn't to say my favorite golfers to watch, but the type of player where you feel like it's a privilege to watch them swing the golf Can ball. you be underrated at world number two? I think the answer is yes. He's a little bit quieter, you know, in this era of folks kind of pounding their chest and tweeting at nauseum and going on Instagram and TikTok and like the youngsters do. Colin Morikawa goes about his business, but to watch him strike a golf ball in particular with an iron, it's something to behold. I feel this way about Rory McIlroy. I yeah. have throughout most of his career. Jordan Spieth kind of yeah. does something similar. Of course, Tiger Woods, Ernie Els, Hideki. I get that mm. sense about sometimes when you're really seeing him locked in. I watched the third round of Hideki's Masters mm. on Masters Live the other day and just kind of reminding yourself about the iron play there. But a privilege to watch Colin Morikawa mm. when he has been locked in. And, of course, unless you've been sleeping – under a rock or just not paying attention to media at all. You've heard this news. We'll bring it up to you again. Breaking news on a Wednesday here on Golf Today. Tiger Woods committing to play in next week's PNC Championship in Orlando with his son, Charlie. This will be the first time we see Tiger since last year at the PNC Championship. Exciting news for the golf world. Yeah, they finished tied for seventh a year ago. Who knows what they'll do this time? Tiger Woods saying, although it's been a long and challenging year, I am very excited to close it out by competing in the PNC Championship in Orlando with my son, Charlie. I'm playing as a dad and couldn't be more excited and proud. I'm playing as a dad was mm. the line yeah. I took away as well. The PGA Championship. The PGA Championship has social media. Like, the championship tweets things out. I didn't, know it could do, I didn't know it could do that. <laughs> awesome news. Can't wait to watch it, champ. We can't either. I like the caps on champ as well. U.S. Open saying welcome back. Can't wait to see you and Charlie play. Yeah, this is like genuine love and appreciation from major championships and golf organizations. How about a three-time PGA Tour winner and Max Home, a friend of the program. Tiger is so cool. What a machine. In the same year, I thought it would be a minor miracle if he could ever walk again. He's playing competitive golf on TV. Legend. And Bryson, you know, short and sweet. This is awesome, period. Welcome back, period, D. Bryson, wake up, buddy. Throw, throw a couple caps. <laughs> Can we get an exclamation Can we get points? two or three exclamation marks? <laughs> this is Tiger Woods returning. But, D, we haven't got to chat about it on air yet. We haven't really got a chat to, to chance to chat off the air. But yeah. your thoughts and just excitement for this news. Yeah, even as the all indications seem to be pointing in this direction after Tiger released that video on that Sunday uh, that he was hitting a golf ball, looking good. Arrows were kind of pointing in this direction that we'd be seeing Tiger on a golf course very soon. But with the official news, my reaction is, is joy for him, for his son, for people who love this game, 
for folks that maybe didn't get to watch Tiger in his prime just to see Tiger on a golf course, I think there are a subset of players, a Nicholas, the late great Arnold Palmer. Doesn't matter how old they are, how they hit it, just to see them in their element, it warms the cockles of your heart. It reminds me of, uh, of how important Tiger can be to not just golf, but to the PGA Tour and yeah. interest in this sport. I mean, we look at what Bryson did mm. in 2021, and we're going to talk about Bryson in a bit as we tend to do Bryson, Brooks, Rory, Jordan. Some of the names I listed off the top that it's a privilege to watch them play golf. Yeah. They're popular golfers. Tiger is just popular. Yeah. And when Tiger makes one golf swing for three seconds or he's on the driving range at the Hero or he's in front of a microphone, the world listens, and the world is going to watch this next week on Golf Channel NBC. They're going to pay attention mm. to this because Tiger is once again, again swinging a golf club, mm. and that is what we know Tiger Woods to do. We know Tiger is a superstar. We know Tiger as one of the goats of this game, but we want to watch Tiger swing golf clubs. There's a lot rattling around in my brain, as you know, of late, but the one thing that keeps rattling around the words of Noda Begay the third, Tiger's good friend, Tiger is a warrior. He is a warrior, and that's what this comeback is about. Tiger has mastered the art of the comeback, been counted out a thousand times, and this seemed to be the one thing that he would not be able to come back from. He is coming back to be able to play golf with his son, and who knows what this means for 2022. Might not mean a lot. It might mean a major championship. It might be something in between, but just the fact that he's coming back Incredible for the game. It's it, We live in a world where we want to look ahead, and, and at times we have to force ourselves not to. Sure, and, I sure. mean, it's so easy to think of Augusta National and everybody's kind of looking at the Open Championship. Yeah. And these are exciting moments. And yeah. if Tiger's there, it's going to make the event even bigger for sure. and greater. But I'm looking at next weekend. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at Tiger getting a chance to be a dad out on the golf course and play with his son. I mean, that's the dream. You go mm -hmm. through something as horrific as Tiger just went through, and will I walk again? Can I do things with my kids? I mean, yeah. those are the questions you ask yourself when you're laying on a hospital bed. Yeah. And if you're Tiger Woods now, to get back to this point, I mean, go to that Max Homa tweet. Max is obviously extremely entertaining mm -hmm. in there. But there was a lot of truth in the tweet that Max sent out. I mean, Max wins the event the day before that horrific accident. Yeah. And then, of course, we're all wondering, are we going to see Tiger be able to walk again? What's going to happen mm -hmm. with this? And the fact that in 2021, we're going to get a chance to watch Tiger play golf again. You know, you said it was a three-second video. I keep going back to this. But at the Hero, it wasn't the small bucket. It wasn't the small Ooh. range bucket that you and I take out to warm up before a round. He had the pro bucket. He the had the one that, that had 500 golf balls in it. <laughs> and when you're out there working through that, throughout the bag, I feel like you're working towards something. He is a different animal, as we know. He called this part of his life and career the gravy, but the gravy tastes especially sweet when it involves your child. It's going to be 46 in late yeah, December, which yeah, is pretty Capricorn. crazy yeah. to think in terms of Tiger Woods. I mean, you go back to 95, 96, 97, and remember of Tiger Woods and what he did for mm. golf and how he changed the way mm. we can think about winning and competing and dominating in golf, and he's still changing the game in 2021. Yeah, still the biggest name in the game. And don't forget, next week, Tiger Woods makes his return to competitive golf at the PNC Championship coverage Saturday, December 18th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on Golf Channel and 2.30 p.m. on NBC. Set, set, the, set the DVR now. Already set. Yeah, you already, already set, set it. Set. Yeah, yeah. set it now. Do it. Just get ahead of it. Now, and, and just a reminder, there's still live golf this week. Do you know this? How about that? QBE is this week in Florida. The shootout tomorrow noon Eastern right here on Golf. And for more, we welcome in the great Steve Burkowski. We'll be there all week. And Steve, what do you have for us in terms of what's happening at the QBE? Well, Shane, what I have is a beautiful day here in southwest Florida. Unseasonably warm temperatures in the mid 80s, and it's 
Really remarkable to think this is the 33rd edition of the QBE shootout. It has been a fixture for more than three decades, led by tournament host Greg Norman, who's wearing a lot of hats these days. We know earlier this year, Greg was named the CEO of LIV Golf Investments, and that establishment continues to grow as today they announced a new COO. Greg was asked about that latest edition as well as what excites him about this new venture moving forward. And it's a testament to our business model. It's a testament to our commitment to the game of golf um, and our C-suite, which is deep and, and very um, experienced, not only in sport, team sport, uh, not only in business, but right across the board. Um, our C-suite starting in London to where we're going to be in West Palm Beach is solid. And really, it is a commitment by them of, like I said, believing in the product, believing, believing in the business model, and believing in the players. Greg, do you remain as confident or even more confident going forward in your new, new venture in golf? Um, look, what we've done already is an indication of our commitment to the game of golf uh, through the Asian Tour investment. Uh, I can't remember the last time anybody wanted to come out and invest a couple hundred million dollars into an Asian tour, a tour in general, from the outside. Um, I think that's a, a testament to our commitment of where we want it and how we want the game of golf to grow. Um, you know, Asia, I've been going to Asia for 40 plus years. I still go to Asia through my golf course design and through uh, my consumer products, and, and I see uh, what has been needed there. I see the development of the game of golf and all through um, the Pacific Rim there, specifically Vietnam. Um, I see it in Thailand. I see it in Singapore. I see it in Japan. I see it in India. You know, we've got Hideki Matsuyama, who used to be the Asian amateur, now the U.S. Masters champion. And I just want to be able to allow these players more of an opportunity to get the growth and the development they, they do need to be where they want to be, be a Hideki Matsuyama, you know, coming through the Asian ranks. and coming up and winning a major championship, let alone the U.S. Masters. So, um, you know, I'm very, very passionate about that. I'm not going to lose focus on that at all. Um, you know, I, I stay finely tuned with my C-suite people on the same thing about our future and about how we want to get to certain milestones in our life and, and obviously for our investor. Um, they've invested for a reason. Uh, they invest for a reason because they see golf and sport as an asset class now. And uh, you'll see it all around the world, whether it's in IPL and cricket or whether it's even the NFL, NBA, NHL. Uh, you see it uh, in all type different leagues. Uh, people are investing in, in sport in general. After playing in the Pro-Am here on Thursday, the meeting with the media for Greg Norman was short and sweet. But guys, as I send it back to you, he reiterated the commitment. You just heard it. He's excited about the potential, the prospects of growing this game. Now I think we're going to all just have to sit back and wait and see how this eventually plays out in the near future. Yes, the story will continue to follow. Steve Rakowski on the ground for us in Naples. Lots coming up this week on Golf Today. It's Architect Week. David McClay Kidd of Bandon Dunes, Jim Urbina, Punch Bowl, Andy Johnson from the Fried Egg and the Shotgun Start, Brendan, and Kyle France joins us as well. Did uh, the restore of Pine Needles? They're letting Andy Johnson Can on the show. He's going to be on TV. You know what he told me yesterday? He said he just got a haircut. I'm excited to Did see he? what it looks like. We'll have him on in just a bit. All right, we're talking architecture. We're talking about great golf. And D, we got to go best walks in the sport. And, and this is subjective. This is what you think 
is the best walk. So I'm assuming you're, you're going to go kind of off the map here, maybe a crazy golf course or maybe one that everybody hopes to play. I consider myself a renaissance man. <laughs> I'm going to the roots agree. of the game. I'm going to the National Golf Links of America, mm -hmm. NGLA. Uh, this is oh. really the soul of the game. C.B. McDonald, this is where he built the, this ode to, to Scottish links and, and some of the great template golf holes that we see today. Uh, it's just a place that's a magical walk. Southampton uh, on the east end of Long Island. This right now is the par three fourth hole, the famous Redan, high right, low left, gorgeous day. We were there the same day. I've been lucky to play this golf course twice. It's just a magical walk right there, uh, very close to Shinnecock Hills and Sabonic. It's interesting that Ben Crenshaw to this day says once a year he makes an appointment to go play National and Shinnecock to kind of remind him of the greatness of the architecture there and to kind of get his own design juices flowing year after year. National Golf Links, as you know, a very special place. One of my favorite kind of golf questions is if you had a car and, and you were just going to drive and play 36 holes in one day, where, where would you go? Yeah. You don't need a car to play Shinnecock and National, which is, I'd say, a lot of people's answer. I mean, you get a lot of Marion, Pine Valley thrown sure. in there as well. You could go Pebble, Cypress, yeah. but I mean, National, in terms of 18 holes in the United States, I'm not sure it, it's beatable. I mean, yeah. from 1 through 18, the entire experience. I mean, you walk away and you go, when can I get back on yeah. this golf course? Yeah. When can I get a chance to play national again? I, I mentioned Cypress. Yes. And there is that special, special walk because getting a chance to play Cypress, it's really like you're playing three different golf courses, you know, when you kind of start out at the first and you get a chance to, to experience the entirety of Cypress. But everybody wants to get to 16. Yeah. And then when you do the walk from 15 to 16 and the reveal happens right here, and you see the par 3 16th, one of the most famous holes. I mean, I'd say one of the most sought-after holes to play in, in, our, in our sport. Yeah. It is as cool of a walk and as special of a walk as there is out there. But it's not my, my favorite, if you will, walk. The, the walk, to me, that kind of touches my soul is Bannon Trails. And it mm. always has been. Really, when you start at the seventh hole at Bannon Trails and you get all the way to 14, through the woods, it, it just it's such a peaceful experience to me. And for whatever reason, personally, to me, the walk of Bannon Trails brings me to a place that I need every now and again in golf because you and I are around golf a lot. Yes. And there are times where golf can feel like a job. If I ever feel like that and I can get to Bandon and to walk that specific walk, to walk 10, to walk 11, I don't think it beats it. I mean, it, to me, is again, it, it's as peaceful a walk as I can experience. I played Bandon Trails with you uh, back in 2014. I mean, you made an eagle. And I did make an eagle that day, which I don't know how I did it, thinking where my game is today. I remember. I saw the putt. <laughs> it was pretty good. But I tell you, to me, this is Core Crenshaw at the height of their power. Oh, yeah. The, the design features, the, the variety of the shots required, just how the golf course looks like it's been there forever, the ebb and flow. You know, you kind of start, you can see the water, then you kind of wind through the trees, and then you come back out, and you can see the water. It is as soulful a walk as there is in golf. And on a property where there is so much great golf, I think that Bandon Trails is actually underrated and underappreciated when you think about the drama of Bandon Dunes and Pacific Dunes. I think Bandon Trails is sometimes forgotten. Charles Barkley once said, I, I, don't, I don't trust people that don't get mad on the golf course. I don't trust people that don't like Bandon oh. Trails. I mean, to your oh, point, I mean, it's so my good. favorite golf course uh, yeah. on property, and that's saying a lot because 
Bannon Dunes, one of the great golf oh. We're going to have Dave McClay Kidd on in a bit. I mean, the 16th hole is as good a par four as you're going to play yeah. in our world. And you think about Pacific, and you think about Sheep Ranch, and you think about Old Mac. I mean, you think about the preserve and the punch bowl. I mean, the entire experience of Bannon is so great. And yet the golf course where you don't really see the ocean is the one that always touches yeah. my soul and it touches my heart. And it's just such, again, it's such a peaceful walk, and it just brings me back to a place that at times I need to remind it of. The entire experience, it's like camp for adults. I felt it's like amazing. a kid. I couldn't wipe the smile off my face for that entire week <laughs> if I tried back in 2014. I want to go back. I was in a different place. You know, I got kids that are playing in a zillion sports, and I don't want to miss out on, on their high points and fun. But I tell you, for that week... You need a trip back? I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of hankering for okay. one. We're, just, we're getting close. I know, I know a guy. You know, you know what? And we're going to have somebody on in a bit that might be able to help us out. Make a call As well. Us? Maybe we'll ask David McClay. All right, it is Architecture Week. We're asking this to you on social media. What's the best walk in golf and why? Your wow. tweet could be on the show here in a bit. If you got a picture, if you got a video, throw it in there as well. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Golf Today. Architect Week rolls on. Yeah, we're back on the tractor, baby. Born and raised in Scotland and the son of a golf course superintendent, David McClay Kidd has been around golf his entire life. He is the architect of Bandon Dunes, which opened back in 1999 and was the resort's first course. Today, he has more than a dozen courses on his resume. He's also one of the great guys in golf. Yes. I mean, is that fair to say now? He's not on yet. I don't want to see him smiling when okay. I say that. Born and raised in Scotland, son of a golf course superintendent. You see studied landscape, horticulture, currently lives in Oregon. Notable golf courses, Bannon Dunes, St. Andrews Links Castle. Mm. Of course, just to name a few, David joins us now. And David, first, we appreciate you taking some time. You got a lot of the passion from this business from your father, Jimmy. How young were you? when your dad started talking to you about golf courses, the way they were built, why certain things enhance golf courses, et cetera? Well, my dad uh, was a golf course superintendent for 50 years, and our house was filled with old books and plans and clubs and balls and all sorts of stuff laying around. So uh, it, it was all around me. I, my dad's a history buff, so he would collect old golf books when collecting old golf books wasn't uh, the, the thing. Uh, so he has all sorts of stuff in his library 
uh, old plans that were drawn by architects 100 years ago, all sorts of original stuff that he has. So I, I was just born around it. I, I, it just was part of the DNA in our house. A t constant talk of golf. It was like uh, living in the golf channel through a childhood. <laughs> it sounds like bliss, David. When you were in your 20s, when Mike Kaiser hired you to do Band and Dunes, you were young, relatively unknown. Why do you think you two connected so well? Well, I think that Mike Kaiser was uh, uh, hiring the apple that he hoped hadn't fallen too far from the tree. Uh, Mike and my father are exactly the same age, and they got on really, really well. Uh, and I figure that uh, Mike hired me uh, knowing how much uh, I probably knew instinctively and knowing that my father would definitely not let me fail. Uh, and Mike was probably right. David, are you surprised by the success of Band and Dunes? Are you surprised that it's become what it is? Of course, everyone was, even Mike Kaiser, the owner. I mean, when, when we were building Band and Dunes, Mike hoped that uh, he wouldn't lose a bunch of money every year maintaining it. Uh, he wondered whether they'd sell Bud and Bud Light or whether the burger <laughs> would have cheese on or not. Uh, would a single wide be enough or should we put in a full double wide and 30 parking spots? I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous today, but those were the conversations. Uh, the, the thing was, Mike was on a mission to create the Scottish-Irish golf experience in America, but he had no idea whether anybody else would, would want to join it with him. Uh, and it turned out that there was a, a deep passion for that kind of golf in American golfers. They were being fed a, a diet of parkland golf courses that were bright green with blue ponds and fake streams. And Mike came along with this beautiful piece of land that's unsullied and completely authentic. And it turned out that golfers really loved that, just like the original golfers where I'm from. They, they love that stuff. Well, it is the best. We were praising Band and Dunes in the last segment. I have a question about the person in your mind when you're working. Who are you designing golf courses for? When you're thinking of a golf course, when you're laying out the plans, who's the person that pops in your mind that you're seeing playing that golf course? You know, I, I, when I first started in, in the architecture business in my 20s, it was very much the average golfer. And then through the the late 90s 2000s everything you know probably because of the the whole tiger effect i think me and many other golf course architects got carried away thinking that golf was becoming too easy of course it wasn't becoming too easy for the masses it was just seemed to be coming too easy for the elites uh, and so i changed course and went back to what i know best so every course that i do now we're thinking all the time about the average guy the guy that's trying to you know, break 90, the few that are trying to break 80. Uh, you know, that that average guy and gal that are, you know, with a swing speed that's less than 100, we're trying to figure out what is achievable for them. And when they don't achieve it, giving them some opportunity to recover from their uh, inevitable mistakes and still have golf be fun. Uh, I think we've built way too many golf courses that are just so penal. And the average player makes the slightest error and they're basically chin down, ball in pocket, head to the next tee. And that's not what golf should be about. Mm. Describing me uh, in a nutshell, David. Listen, <laughs> if you could have a conversation with an architect from the past, anybody, old Tom Morris, Mackenzie, Tillinghast, Ross, McDonald, Rayner, uh, who would it be and why? Well, those are all good. If we could have dinner with all of those, that would be an <laughs> awfully good uh, dinner party. 
Uh, but if I can only pick one of them, I'd probably go all the way back to the very start. Being a Scotsman, born and raised, I'd want to sit down with old Tom and hope that young Tom could maybe join us and talk about the game of golf and the pivotal role they played in taking this unstructured game uh, and, and taking it through that initial formation where the golf courses became more formalized, the rules became more formalized, the equipment started to develop. You know, you think about the the uh, career of, of old Tom Morris and what happened in golf in his in the point of which he had most influence, he may have been the greatest single influence on the game in history. I'd ask him about Cruden Bay, one of my favorite spots on the planet. How important are short courses, David, and putting courses to the long-term health of our game as golf continues to evolve and how people play it? You know, I think short courses and, and putting courses uh, kind of lost their appeal through the sort of 80s and 90s, and now they're returning. I think they're I, just an absolutely wonderful experience for average players to have success. You know, when you're playing short courses and putting courses, you're probably not going to lose golf balls. You're probably not going to get yourself in an unrecoverable position. It gives you the opportunity to be creative and to think about uh, different shot styles and bump and runs and lobs and all sorts of different things uh, and allows you to refine your short game. Uh, and so much of the game is about that. It's not just about bombing drivers, as you guys were saying earlier. For the average player, they're not going to be bombing drivers. So it is all about those middle irons and the scoring clubs. So uh, those short courses uh, allow that. And from a golf course architect's point of view, it gives us the opportunity to go into a whole new creative sp sphere. We can do things on a short course that are, frankly, blatantly unfair, that you've probably couldn't do on a, a full six scale golf course because you don't have a scorecard in your hand. There, there's no slope rating. You're not posting the score against your gin handicap. So I can do all sorts of wild and crazy things on a short course that I probably would get shot for if I tried to do it on a, on a championship 18. So uh, we've, we've done a few and we're hoping to do many more. There's sure a lot of fun to build. David, we've been asking everybody on Architect Week their favorite par three, par four, and par five in the world, so we'll tee you up on that. I know it's not the easiest question, but a uh, favorite par three, four, and five, in your opinion? Boy, boy that's tough. I mean, I, the, so much of it is to do with the landscape they sit in. You know, I'm a fan of sand, uh, and I'm a fan of uh, the, the ocean. So everything I'm about, I want to smell the ocean breeze and I want to play on firm sand so you know if I was going to pick a par three that I didn't do uh the 10th the 10th on Pacific Dunes uh, at Bandon would be fantastic I mean there are very few spots that are more visually awe-inspiring than that uh it's unusual in that you can't see the putting surface for a par three so there's all this mystery going on if you know the green you know where you've got a little bump slopes you can play into them you can kick off of them you can play what you think is a beautiful shot that's going to uh, ricochet into the pin and get up there, and it didn't. Uh, or you can play one that you don't think is very pretty, and hey, presto, you got a tap-in birdie putt. So that would be my par three. Par four, I'm a Scotsman. i got to go to the road hole. Uh, it's just, <laughs> Smart man. It, it's just such a, a, an anomaly. You know, you think that hole's been sat there for generations, and many people have tried to copy it. And no one really has. It's such an anomaly. Uh, having played it many times myself, 
Uh, you know, I'm always looking to the opportunity of blowing it past that green onto AT&T and chipping backwards and giving myself a par putt and beating the other guys in my group when they think I blew the second shot over it uh, by accident. So that's always a fun one to play. Not many par fours that you on purpose blow it over the green and come in backwards. And then a par five, well, the easy one would be the, the 18th of Pebble. Uh, you know, that who doesn't love watching that on TV? Uh, I've gotten to play that one a few times too, and it's always fun to watch. Uh, you know, you want to open your shoulders and just hit it as hard as you can off that tee. So that would probably be my easy three picks, all on sand, all by the ocean. Uh, and if I can continue to build golf courses that are on sand by oceans, uh, I, I'd be awfully happy. David, uh, one of the true honors of, of my career was getting the opportunity to play the back nine of Bannon Dunes with you and Mr. Kaiser a couple of years ago. We got video of you playing what I think a lot of people would consider their favorite par four in the world, the 16th. I think you even liked this one. You were smiling after. But when you get the compliments that you receive about 16, what does it feel like when people talk about that par four? You know, taking too much credit for that hole is like the cockerel taking credit for the sunrise. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that is the most unbelievable piece of land on the west coast of America. You know, it's the most western point in the United States, continental U.S. You're sitting 100 feet above 25 miles of ocean. Uh, it's just such a superb point. And the, 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 the fact that it's a short par four, uh, the fact that it's got all of these different options from a mid-iron to a rescue club to, you know, the bomb three woods and drivers to get on the green and go all for glory. I mean, it was an absolute privilege and honor to watch uh, the U.S. amateur played and watch how those uh, young guys tried to take the golf course apart. And some of them did it for a few holes, but not all of them did it on all holes. And 16 in particular, it, it was exactly as I'd intended it. it. It's a hole where if you're one up or one down, you really have to make a decision. You, you may be left with nothing but the go-for-it shot if you're already one or two down. There's just nothing left but to go for glory. And it's out there to be had if you can do it. In fact, I'm surprised you didn't show the video, Shane, of you hitting a three-wood to about four feet and holding the putt the last time I played there with you. Not about me. Oh, man. Not, not about me. It's, it's architect week, David. We're, we're talking about you here, not That's me. next week? We'll, That's it. We'll, we'll, we'll show, show it next you. week. Hey, David, yeah, you're the I, best. I think I got to I think I'm going to repost that on my Twitter account. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll retweet it if you post it, buddy. Hey, listen, it's great spending time with you. Your handiwork has brought a lot of joy uh, to a lot of people and a little consternation from time to time as well. Thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. Great to be with you guys. Man, how cool is that? Oh, David McClake kid. Just the best. The best. Could talk to him for hours. You know who has to follow David McClake kid? Andy Johnson? Our man, Andy Johnson <laughs> from the Fried Egg. He'll be up next on golf today at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, 
no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back on golf today. Time for more design terminology 101. How about overseeding? In golf, overseeding refers to a maintenance process on golf courses in which grass seed is spread on top of the existing grass to promote new growth or to swap out seasonal turfs, replacing one type of grass with another, and the grass kind of pops and it looks real pretty. professional way of putting it. You like that? Very, very impressed. Thank you, Pat. Well done there, dude. <laughs> uh, this is a tweet from the fried egg. No, oh, I hate a fried egg lie. Well, yeah, but tough. I like the Friday. Pod. You're on the, the intro I'm of the podcast. The intro. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of great restorations have happened recently. Still plenty of American courses that would benefit for some work. Ooh. Andy dove in and it is a must read. Check that out at the Friday. Andy Johnson joins us now. Th- this is really strange because I could easily say that these are two of my favorite guests back to back we've ever had. And it's true. David McClay and now Andy Johnson. Andy, we appreciate the time. Why should people care about golf architecture? Oh, that's a great question, Shane. I I think golf is obviously extremely hard, and and one of the big challenges of the game is it's hard, and everybody's been there when you're having a tough day on the golf course, you get in a bad mood. But one of the great things with if you like golf architecture is you're out there for more reasons to, than just personal score. So you know, obviously, you have a better day when you play well, regardless. But if you're not playing great, you've got something else to pay attention to and enjoy with golf course architecture, and you're just kind of enjoying watching nature it gives you a real appreciation for the environment that you're spending four and a half four hours in uh on a daily or weekly basis or monthly basis however much you play well andy architecture had been in a bit of a lull following the financial crisis back in 2008 why does it feel like the course boom is back baby yeah definitely i think uh we've been in a little bit of a lull where we've only had a few new projects every year but right now it seems like you know, we're we're going through a little bit of period of resurgence. You're hearing a lot about a lot of potential projects. You've got a bunch of projects that are happening right now, whether it's West Palm Beach uh, Muni that Gil Hans is doing and Seth Waugh is involved in that, or the tree farm, Zach Blair's project that I know Zach's been on here talking about Old Barnwell right around there is is going on. And then you've got obviously the Lido up at uh, up at Sand Valley, a potential new Bandon course. And then there's just a ton of uh, buzz around potential new projects, including, you know, Rob Collins and uh, Tad King are doing some new projects. And it, uh, it's, a, it's just a big time for new design, which we haven't seen for a number of years. Andy, what's the single biggest thing that we get wrong in terms of the way golf courses are presented? Um, I think I would say that uh, the obsession with green speeds is the thing that uh, probably is the most wrong in American golf outside of a few places. I mean, you go to Banded Dunes and those greens are no, by no means fast. And 
what happens when you speed up the greens and you become obsessed with the stint meter is that you lose really interesting pins and you lose the amount of places that you can put pins on different greens. So you think about uh, a golf course, you know, you're, you're just limiting your day-to-day variety. And what we want to have is, is a golf course that you go and you play regularly. Most, Amer- most Americans play a golf course regularly. You go there and have a different experience every time. And the faster you get your greens, the less opportunity you have to put pins in different places. So I think green speeds is something that we, we get wrong here in America, especially. Well, Andy, you recently wrote a great piece on the Friday Egg about courses left to be restored. You had Augusta National, Riviera, and Pebble on your list. What is your restoration vision for these great tracks? Yeah, I think um, where that centers is going back to their original aesthetic. Um, obviously, all three of those golf courses, which are kind of at the top of the list, they host championship golf. They host the PGA Tour or major championships. So you're going to have to make some concessions with, you know, the distance, the new tee boxes to accommodate that professional game. But they all had, you know, great original designers, whether it's George Thomas, Alistair McKenzie, or Pete Dye. And the golf courses have departed the way those those uh, great architects designed them to look. So I think getting recapturing that aesthetic, the playing corridors, getting those out to the original widths that they intended them to be where they're a lot more narrow now than they used to be. And, uh, you know, because those courses, they host these events, but 51 weeks of the year outside of Augusta, which is obviously closed some of the year, but the other 51 weeks of the year is, you know, play for recreational golfers. So really uh, in ca- capturing that original aesthetic, those, uh, those jagged edge bunkers, whether it's Riviera, or uh, uh, Augusta, where you see the one McKenzie bunker that remains is that one in on 10 that nobody ever hits it in. Uh, and then, you know, Riviera going back to that Billy Bell, George Thomas uh, era bunker. And then uh, with TPC Sawgrass, it was just a, a much more rugged, natural looking golf course than it is today. It's presented very pristine. And, uh, you know, that's one look. But obviously, I'm a big fan of the way they looked when they opened up. Andy, you've been a golf lover for a long time, well before you started a website, well before you became a a podcaster, a famous podcaster at that. Can you play golf courses now and not kind of obsess over the architecture? Are you able to kind of fall in love with the round of golf, or are you always looking around? Uh, I'm usually always looking around, but I would say that I think like anything, I I go back, I grew up playing a a Muni, just a run-of-the-mill Muni, one that is in every town in America, and when I go back there, it's it's a completely different experience than when I'm playing, or say, a course out of Bandon or something. You know that golf is so great, and when you're playing it with your friends or your parents or people that you you know love playing golf with, uh, it, it you know it doesn't really matter. That's the beauty of the game, right? You can enjoy playing golf in a park that has holes cut in dirt. You know, you can enjoy playing golf at, uh, at the best course in the world. Like that's, I think the, the beauty of the game is it doesn't have to be at a great golf course to really love and, and immerse yourself in, in the, uh, in the round that you're playing. Andy, I just called uh, Bryson DeChambeau the driver of the golf ball this year in 2021. When you watch him drive the first green, for example, at Kohler, Wisconsin during the Ryder cup, or you see what he did at the sixth hole, the par five, at API, 
Does that bother you from a, a playability architectural standpoint? Are you encouraged, discouraged? When you look at Bryson DeChambeau and what he's done, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's utterly unbelievable what Bryson's done. Uh, I think the thing that always goes unnoticed is just how straight he hits it for how far he hits it. You know, that's, that's an incredible thing. Um, one of the things I think over time with architecture, uh, with distance, is that holes get more interesting the further the players hit it, and then some holes get less interesting. So I think one half empty or half full way to look at it is there are going to be holes that get better with distance and holes that get worse. Obviously, I think it's unsustainable the trajectory that distance is on, and I think obviously the USGA with the way that the language and their recent documents have kind of put that forth. So it, it should be really uh, an interesting couple of months to see what happens. I, do, I don't think that people driving at 400 yards is really good for golf. Um, but, you know, it is it is neat to watch. I mean, like seeing the first hole at Whistling Straits as a drivable par four is is really neat. You know, it, it's like it added a, no, a whole new dimension to that golf hole, which otherwise would be, you know, kind of an iron and then wedge as we saw it in PGA uh, championships in years leading up to that. Andy, are, are you surprised that golf architecture has become cool? Is this surprising to you considering what you do for a living? Oh, Shane, are you saying that when I was a kid growing up reading like Golf Club Atlas, I wasn't cool? Well, you, that, you've always been. I mean, you've always been. <laughs> you have always been cool. But I'm saying I think for the, mo for the most part, architecture wasn't always the coolest subject. You know, I think um, – I think it kind of fits the society. We live in this craft society. People like going to local coffee shops. People like going to craft breweries. And I think golf architecture is really a part of golf's craft society. You know, you have these these cool bespoke golf brands that make, you know, goods, like whether it's Seamus with their head covers and ball markers. Um, but then golf architecture kind of fits that for golf. And one of the – it's the most unique thing about golf is – Every round you play, there, there are tens of thousands of courses that are all different from each other. They're all in different uh, landscapes. So it makes sense that people should want to understand the golf courses that they play on, right? And he's been great picking your brain. I imagine Brendan Porath is just off camera. So tell him hi. Best luck to your Bears on Sunday night. We hope to speak to you down the road, pal. <laughs> That's going to be a tough one on Sunday night. <laughs> it's going to be very, very <laughs> tough. Right. Aaron Rodgers probably going to have something to say with it. The great Andy Johnson. We appreciate the time. All right. We're going to make the turn here on golf today. We're going to put a bow on 2021. Look ahead to 2022. Majors? We're going to look at some major champions next year. Like it. Why not predict, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Back on golf today. We still got guests to come today. D, Mina, yeah. friends. We got Rob Collins tomorrow. Architect Week just rolls on. I'm enjoying it. Learning a lot about this aspect of the game. Another hour of golf today. Damon Hack and Shane Bacon. Buddy, last week the family picked me up from work and like the boys saw like the Peacock and NBC Sports. And I was like, you know, NBC Sunday Night Football, we share like the studio. Like, wait, what? <laughs> They, oh, they, Tariko and Dad's, Tariko Dad's cooler. Dad's cool when they find out Tariko and Coach Dungy. <laughs> you want me to get the clicker? I you mean, want me to pull the clicker out from under the desk? I think golf's pretty cool, too. Golf is very cool. Yeah. Golf is getting cooler. Yes. And, I mean, we are seeing kind of people come out of all sorts of walks of life to play the game of golf, compete in the game of golf, and kind of dominate yeah. golf. I mean, you look at the professional major winners now versus 10, 15 years ago, 
look a little different. Absolutely. I tell you what, it's been fun to kind of follow the golf season and also kind of this is football season as well. You know, we're so fun to be kind of a part of the property Sunday night football. But this year's been a little different because there's a 17 Right, game one extra schedule. game, that's right. Like a lot of teams are like in the hunt. Feels like when it's December and it snows in the Northeast, Which we should did. know who's going to be in the playoffs. We definitely do not know who's going to be in the playoffs. This is the AFC playoff picture you see there. And right there at the bottom right of your screen, D, I'm just going to let you know now, the 2022 Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins at six and seven. In Tua, we trust. Yes, I, th that team is trending. They they are trending on a, a fantastic winning streak. But so is that team in the top left corner of your screen. The Patriots. I mean, who would have thought it? Can you imagine a Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick Super Bowl? I mean, it could happen. They they, they should give them an extra week for media for that. Oh my like god, one more week. You know? They eat it up with some stories, a lot of preamble. How about those? Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they see they're nine and three. You got the Arizona Cardinals. Well, I, move, I move away from Arizona, and the Cardinals are 10 and two, and the Suns, what, won 18 straight? How yeah, about that, man? Chris Paul is Couldn't have, have done that when I was there? A lot of teams uh, in the hunt, though, there, as you see. All right, so I'm picking the Dolphins to win the Super Bowl at six and seven right now. Are you seriously? Right I, I, I'm, I'm partially <laughs> serious. I, I'll tell you this, though, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, this sure feels like the year that Eli went on to win it, you know, because mm. that team wasn't trending in the right direction in terms of of the Giants, and they caught fire late. Now, I know how dominant the Patriots were that season, but it felt like they caught fire the time you needed to catch fire. And I'm looking at some of the teams that are playing well now and maybe weren't playing well five, six, seven weeks I ago. I keep waiting on the Rams to get their act together. You know, I mean, I'm an L.A. kid. I'm actually a Raider fan. The Raiders are all over the map. But I look at that defense with Aaron Donald. You add Von Miller, Jalen Rams. You have a stud at each level of the defense. Matt Stafford has some weapons. You know, we've got Cooper Cup. My wife has Cooper Cup on her fantasy team, by the way. Very dependable for 10 and 100 weekend after weekend. They've been stumbling a little bit. I think they got right last week. Watch the Rams going forward. As someone that has the uh, Rams in a wins pick em pool with my buddies, I hope they also find form very, very soon. All right, this Sunday night on NBC and Peacock, it is the Bears traveling to Lambeau to take on Aaron Rodgers and those Green Bay Packers. Mm. I feel like that is a team we're not talking enough about. They could be very, very scary in the playoff. Coverage begins 7 p.m. Eastern time Sunday night. Let's take a look at the odds of that game powered by our good buddies at PointsBet Sportsbook. You see the Bears plus 500. The Pack. So you can bet them at minus 12, yeah. it looks like. And yeah, you get minus that crazy seven, five. Yeah. Well, on the over-under, bad weather, always the potential in the Midwest, and they see to win the NFL regular season MVP. Plus 600 for Aaron Rodgers. It's been a kind of a turbulent year for, for Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> some might say. Definitely been okay. turbulent, okay. but it's been solid on the football field. Well, it got us thinking about players that might be in the hunt for a major championship win in 2022. So these are the odds via our pals at points bet. You see Rom, the favorite to win yeah. a major. I mean, that is almost even money, plus 150. DJ there, Rory. These are kind of the characters you'd expect to be on the list. Spieth, Bryson, Brooks, JT, Morikawa at plus 375. I'd say that's surprising I'd to have say. him that far down on the list. And there's Tiger at plus 2,000. Lot of chalk on that board. So how about the guys have a, the potential to win a major in 2022. Do you think somebody has a, a two-shot lead as they sit here in December? Well, it's interesting because when we were talking about this before the show started, D, you and I had the same answer. Yeah. I mean, and that answer is, I think, a name we go to a lot in, in Brooks Kepka. You were really, really high on Brooks Kepka's chances next year. I think he's the mentally 
toughest player on the PGA Tour. I've been saying it for a couple of years. He did not win a major this season, but his results were still very, very strong despite some injuries he was dealing with. Of course, missed that cut at the Masters, trying to rehab in time for that. T2 at the PGA, T4 at the Open, T6 at the PGA Championship. And interesting to me that at the Hero last week, he was asked about the prospects of return to the height of his power. Do you think you can get even better than you were in 2018, which I assume was 2018, 2019, was peak Brooks Kepka? Do you think you can elevate to even higher than that? That wasn't peak. That wasn't peak? That wasn't peak. Just wait. That wasn't peak, he told Cameron Morphin of PGATour.com. Listen, I I mean, I hope Brooks Kepka goes out there and proves me wrong. But to win two majors in 2018 with the current PGA Tour and how hard it is to win multiple majors and multiple majors in a season, I mean, surprise me, shock me, because to win three majors in a year is what he's going to have to do. I tell you what, I was surprised to see him kind of outfoxed by Phil Mickelson on that Sunday at Kiowa, I thought it was kind of set up for him to make his triumphant return after that disappointment at Augusta National, largely due to his health, of course. But I do think that Brooks Kepka is wide awake. And we don't know how long his window is for performance in terms of his health. He has proven to be a great major championship player. He's also proven to be injury-prone. So I think he is wide awake right now. He's probably as healthy as he's been. I know it was a hit and giggle with Bryson DeChambeau, but that was pretty telling. He rolled it he really rolled well. He rolled it well. He hit it well. He knows that he has to strike while the iron is hot. Well, I mean, not a guy you can count out. I mean, if he goes out Ever. there and wins three majors next year, I think he'd be one of the few names that would not surprise us right. if he was able to do that. You think about Rory McIlroy and his abilities or Dustin Johnson – could be in that list as well. I'm going to go a little off, off the list. Where you go? Even the points bet list we have there. Okay. I think Victor Hovland, I think, is setting himself up to, to win a major championship in 2022. Now, the, the lame-o's out there might say Victor Hovland has no top tens in major champions to this point. He has two twelfths and a 13th yes. in majors. So he's been close, and he's played solid golf for four days in terms of what Victor Hovland has been able to do. I just look at the venues next year and the demand to drive the ball straight and the demand to drive the ball Long. I think about Boston and the country club. I think about going to the old course. And I know there's there are wide fairways, but you've got to put the ball in the right places in those fairways. I feel like Victor Hovland is a guy that is putting himself in a position and is perfecting certain parts of the game that need perfected to get to a place where he's going to be in contention in multiple majors. I think he's got the rare game that you could win a U.S. Open, you could win an Open mm-hmm. Championship, you could win a PGA Championship, you could win at Augusta National. Victor Hovland is that type of player to me. His ball striking is really, really at the higher level of the PGA Tour. Maybe we're seeing someone's going to be like a VJ Singh who can ball strike his way to major championships and putt okay. I mean, VJ would change putters every week, sometimes <laughs> After a round of golf, you go Thursday, Friday, different putter, different putting style. We know that Victor Hovland's been very open about his short game deficiencies. He has improved slightly. He's never going to be a Phil Mickelson or Jordan Spieth or Tiger Woods around the greens. But he doesn't have to be if he can hit the golf ball the way he does week to week. Listen, this is a guy that doesn't win in the United States to this point in his professional this career. The, the Justin Thomas. The, the good news is the Open Championship is not played in the U.S. But I think about the old course. I mean, I've spent mm. a lot of time over there, and I feel like that's the type of golf course that Victor Hovland can kind of open the creative mind. You don't have to hit those kind of nippy little sand wedge shots around those greens. You can take putter out. You can take wood. You can take hybrid out. I mean, these are things that Victor Hovland will be able to do around that golf course. And, oh, by the way, he'll be able to hit driver a lot of places, and he'll be able to lean on the iron play. I just look at Victor Hovland as a guy ready for that step. 
And I look at 2022 as a year for Victor Hovland. I mean, for me, it's Kepka, it's mm. Hovland, and it's Jordan Spieth next year as the players I'm really focusing on to have success in majors. And Victor has proven that he can close. I mean, say what you want about 20 players in the field, and you know, he's won in my Somebody's got to win it. Somebody's got to win the tournament. He's now a four-time winner on the PJ Tour, and, man, he can hit a golf ball. Were you surprised to hear Brooks Kepka say, just wait, just watch? I mean, 2000, you know, we'll see what happens in 2022 versus 2018. And what we have seen from Brooks Kepka on the Sundays in these major championships as of late, you know, those are the days you got to go out there and do it, yeah. like you said about Victor Hovland at the Hero. I think he's pretty bummed out, and I'm just using a, a less offensive term in terms of his lack of a major championship for the last couple of years. I think he is not happy about what those last few Sundays have meant. And you talked about it earlier in the year, that it has been a bit of a deficit in seeing his final round scoring, which sounds like an anomaly considering how great he had been 17, 18, 19. But I think that we're still going to see a great Brooks Koepka. I don't know if we're going to see the peak of 2018, but he has to hold himself to that standard to get back ahead of the John Roms and Colin Morikawa's of the world. Well, for Brooks Koepka, what he does have, is he has the ability to get himself in contention in majors a lot. Yes. And that is the one thing that a lot of players don't have, is you're always fifth, and you're always seventh, and you're always yeah. eighth, and say the putter gets hot on Sunday and you yeah. shoot 65, then you win that major. But you got to be around the yeah. hunt for the first three rounds, and that is what Brooks Kepka mm. is amazing out. And something Brooks Kepka has done great in mm. the majors is roll the rock well. It was nice to see him roll it like that in Vegas. Back on golf today, we've got more design terminology 101 for you. How about false front? Mm. Front portion of a putting green that slopes down to the fairway so that golf balls that hit the section of the green often don't stay on the green. False front, true story. It's, it, you know, it's it's the biggest bummer, too. Oh. Hit, hit on the green and you're watching it, and it starts to roll back. Fight, fight. Stop rolling. <laughs> Jim Urbina's golf design company and what he's been able to do, education, in northern Colorado, high school drafting prior to golf design. Worked with designers Pete Dye and Tom Doe. Notable course designs Old Mac, Pack Dune, Sabonic, All just three. to name a few. Jim joins us now. Jim, we appreciate the time. So we got a chance to praise the genius of Pete Dye earlier in the week. You worked so close with Pete earlier in your career. What was that mentorship like for you? Well, great question. Thanks for having me on, Shane. I didn't even know who Pete Dye was. <laughs> Unfortunately, when I got into business, I was just trying to stay busy and stay out of trouble. But I applied to a golf course in Colorado, the TPC of Plum Creek, and little did I know that Pete Dye was the designer. And he hires me to become a shaper, and I don't even know what a shaper is. I'm such a neophyte. And he shows me how to build greens, tees, bunkers, and the thing I remember most about him, Shane, was that he was willing to get on the tractor himself, put his hand on your shoulder and say, I want to do this and I want to do that. And then he would get down on the ground in the dirt and he would shape with his hands in the dirt and show me what he wanted. There was no paperwork, no plans. He did it all in the field, dragging his foot, showing me what we wanted to do. Little did I know, 40 years later, he was going to become the most iconic modern golf course architect. Oh, I love that anecdote. He called himself an old barnyard engineer, Jim, as you know. I saw this quote on your website, by the way. Golf is supposed to be fun. Spread the word. Gil Hantz said something similar on Architect Week as well. Why is that quote important to you? Well, I, unfortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, I worked 
and began my career with Pete Dye, and he built some of the hardest golf courses ever. Always challenged you to hit that heroic shot. And I knew that when I was going to go out on my own, that I wanted to steer away from that. Not that there was anything wrong with that, but I wanted to steer away from that and go back to the to golden age designs where you could putt around and, and hit shots that were not as heroic, although they challenged you. And I thought it was time 12 years ago, I said, got to spread the word, got to be fun. Jim, what's the golf course blueprint for architects? What's the course you feel is most mentioned when talking about perfection? Well, I don't know if that there's a blueprint, but I do know that the golden age design has steered me for many, many years. It was what they did with the land. They didn't force it. They worked with nature. And even though McDonald and Rayner uh, created very artificial features, they still blended it with the land. And for me, people like Maxwell, Mackenzie, Tillinghouse, uh, you name them, McDonald and Rayner, they always used the land that you gave them. They didn't have big earth-moving machines. And so that's what has guided me for the last, oh, 40 years, uh, starting with Pete in 1982 uh, uh, as a shaper, and today, uh, 40 years later, still putting it in the ground, working in the field, and not trying to rely on plans to steer my, my uh, uh, ideas. Jim, what keeps you up at night as a golf course architect, especially when you're in the middle of a project? What is your biggest concern? Well, you know, that's a great question, Damon, because when I first had the chance to work for Mike Kaiser at Pacific Dunes, I laid awake many nights wondering if I had done the right thing the day before and what I was going to do the next day. The unsung heroes of golf course architecture are the golf course superintendents. And I worked with a very talented guy by the name of Ken Nice, who has helped me build Pacific Dunes. And I used to lay awake at night thinking, how are we going to make the golf course better the next day? And how I could communicate with the crew who were building it in-house and working with Ken Nice and making sure the turf was right, that the nature was perfect, and that we blended golf and the environment so that all people would enjoy it, no matter whether they played or not. And you lay awake at night thinking, how can I make it better? I still do it today, Damon. You know as well as I do when you're prepping for a show or Shane and you are going to have a guest on, you think about all the things that you want to ask and the things that you forgot to ask. That only happens uh, half the time with us, just so you know. <laughs> only about half the time. All right, Jim. So we've been asking everybody that's come on Architect Week their favorite par three in the world, their favorite par four in the world, and their favorite par five in the world. So you have the floor. Well, um, my most famous one-shot hole is probably the Eden at St. Andrews, hole number 11. Ironically, it's a one-shot hole that you could, you could use a putter to get onto the green. My second hole, the fourth, is the Leaven at London Links, where it requires you to attack the green hidden by a dune. You have to play as close to the burn as you can to see the green. And lastly, my par five hole, the three-shotter, is long at St. Andrews, where you have to navigate Hell Bunker. And those are all holes that are difficult to emulate, but I try to think about those in everyday designs. It's a fantastic list, Jim, and it's a fantastic career. Thank you so much for joining us on Architect Week. You know, hope you get some good night's sleep. I know you're very, very busy. <laughs> we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Damon. Thank you, Shane. Great being here.
All right, the great Jim Urbini. And coming up next, hey, joined by Kyle Franz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Architect Week's not stopping. From Jim Urbini to Kyle Franz, I mean, it just goes on and on. McClay Kidd, Andy Johnson. Been a great show. Not Avery Johnson, Andy Been Johnson. Been a great happy hour show. <laughs> Back on Golf Today, it's Architect Week. Kyle France is a golf course architect, consultant, builder, and project manager that's been working in the design business since the year 2000, played a key role in creating several of the most innovative and acclaimed courses built in the last decade, including Pine Needles, Country Club of Charleston, and Southern Pines. And the resume is strong as Manila Hemp, studied turf management at Oregon State, spent a year overseas studying Britain's Lynx courses, Worked with the designer Tom Doak, notable courses Barn Boogle, Pinehurst Number no. 2 Restoration, and the 2016 Olympic course in Rio. And Kyle joins us now. Kyle, we hear the term restoration a lot these days. Why are we seeing so many of these types of projects happening around the country? Uh, great question. You know, the uh, simple fact of the matter is, you know, these wonderful, great old classic golf courses built 100 years ago, they're constantly evolving, constantly changing, you know, whether it's uh, trees getting planted or, you know, volunteer trees growing up or uh, green shrinking, which is something that happens during the course of day to day uh, maintenance and, and whatnot. Bunkers lose their character, the drainage qualities and, uh, and things just get changed. People fill in bunkers and uh, and all the exciting elements of the golf course because they're usually the most controversial and most difficult. So the game has been evolving so much uh, from when Donald Ross was designing golf courses, Charles Blair McDonald, Seth Rayner, all these great classic architects. And uh, every once in a while, these golf courses, they just need a little a little freshen up. So that's really what we've been working on, on on so many of my projects during the course of my career. I've been very lucky. I worked uh, on a couple of the Bannon golf courses for Corey Critchaw and Tom Doak and uh, a little bit for uh, uh, on the Piner Stubber 2 restoration for Corey Critchaw, a little bit on the uh, Rio Olympics project for Gil Hans. But really, the projects, a lot of time, they get my blood flowing the most are going to work on these great old classics that, uh, again, they just need to polish the app a little bit. Well, a lot of your work centers around the Sand Hills of North Carolina, including Pine Needles, host of the 2022 U.S. Women's Open. What should viewers look for when they watch next year from a design standpoint? Yeah. The, I think the most important things to, to note about Pinehurst architecture and Donald Ross's work here is, is one, is they all fit into the common theme of, you know, the sandy hard pan areas around the holes and the, and the, the natural bunker style, the rugged edges and the big wide fairways. You know, he's very, very forgiving to where, you know, the high handicap player had a big target out there, but also that uh, a world-class caliber player could strategize. He had enough weight width out there that he could hit it to one side of the fairway or the other. So um, we've, we've really actually mown the fairways out and made them much wider on all these golf courses. But within the common themes um, of, of those great classic elements and, of course, these, these domed super difficult greens with all the hollows and the tight mo falloffs where the players have to putt and chip and bump and run and really be creative. He tried to make every one of these projects here just a little bit different from each other. You know, the uh, the goals when we were restoring mid-pines 10 years ago were a little bit different from what we worked on with Piners number two. Again, he tried to make the golf courses just a little different from each other. I think the best analogy I can make with Ross's work in Piners is kind of like the Beatles. You know, the uh, uh, there's a big difference between, you know, their their 1963-64 Jangle guitar pop and Sgt. Pepper's a few years later. He was doing the same thing. He was really trying 
to make it really varied and very cool and interesting. And so we've really tried to tackle that from a restorative standpoint. Mid pine is completely different. Pine needles completely different. And uh, and then we've just been working on southern pines the uh, the last year. So when when folks come in town to see the the open next year, they'll really get to see a little bit different take on Ross's style here than than they would have seen on on number two. Much more much more grassy and forgiving and whatnot. Um, but the tee shots are just one after another brutal always hitting to the top of a hill to where if you don't hit that good solid tee shot uh you're going to be kind of landing in the upslopes but if you do hit good solid tee shots you get a big speed slot forward so uh it's a little different dynamics Kyle, we live in a world of high definition but when you're looking through old photos of restoration work trying to bring golf courses back to what they look like you're not looking at hd cameras i mean you don't have drone footage what are you using when you look back over these golf courses and try to bring golf courses back to what they originally looked like? Yep. Uh, you know, restoration is, is kind of one part architecture, one part archaeology. We, we try and use a whole different spectrum of items to help us to try and get inside the head of these classic objects. And that's really what it's all about is we want to figure out exactly what they, uh, uh, what they were trying to accomplish. You know, the, uh, Golf architecture is like great, any other great artistic medium. There's not a single detail out there that happened by accident. There's not a single uh, element in the design that wasn't carefully thought through to make the players think, really consider what they're doing out there. So in the case of, of these three courses and going back to Pinus number two, we started with a uh, an aerial of the property from the 1930s. We also used a just a, a whole host of, of ground photos of the golf course. You know, the uh, um, the the Tuft Archives here in Pinehurst is a is a great, great asset for, for restoration work. We have to work much harder at it around the country and have to dig up, uh, or the club has to dig up and find these things. But we'll use these ground shots. We'll use diagrams that we can find, whether it's original plans, Ross, uh, some of those have survived over the decades. We don't have them here. Fortunately, there's some 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 great old diagrams of all three of our courses here that we've been able to utilize that, that shows us things that we couldn't even pick up in those aerials. You know, a mound here and a mound there, or a feature there and a feature there that was drawn in that you wouldn't be able able to decipher with the naked eye um, on, on the arrows and whatnot. And then a lot of it is just going back and reading through a lot of the great, uh, um, you know, write-ups on the properties or tournaments and whatnot. We try and use literally any any element uh, from those classic golden age of architecture, uh, architectural era um, items to, to, to arrive at the finish line and, and hopefully get get to just that we've gotten in the head of a great classic architect and the golf course is playing as, as good as, as they intended then and making the adjustments we need to make with all the changes of technology for modern play. Kyle, these are boom times in the industry, but there are also many issues and talking points around the game and design water, the golf ball sustainability as an architect, what concerns you the most in the industry or what keeps you up at night? You know, I think I think it's one of them that you mentioned within there is that uh, you know the game is constantly evolving. You know, I think people would be funny today. They they find it funny today um, if they realize that architects like Alistair McKenzie, the great architect of Cypress Point and Augusta National, they were concerned with the length that golf balls were flying back in those days, and uh, um, we're we're eighty and hundred yards longer today than they were then. You know, the best players in the world uh, are hitting it. Uh, substantially further it's part of the reason why i really actually enjoyed working with uh the the women's open 
uh, courses that we have you know, here at Pine Needles, Country Club of Charleston, where I worked in 2019, because actually the ladies professional players are hitting it almost exactly as far as the men's professionals were when these golf courses were designed. So with them, uh, I can really set up the, uh, the strategy and the shots and the, um, uh, uh, all, the, all the elements of the design a little bit more because they're hitting that trajectory, they're hitting the bouncing shots into the green, uh, the things that are kind of missing from the men's aerial game. Uh, today it's really kind of a target oriented game whereas these players were hitting you know low running ground game oriented shots a uh, hundred years ago so so that's really the thing that i that i kind of worry about the most not only uh where we're at in a hundred years but my goodness where we're headed in another 50 years or so so uh um definitely like to see a, a balancing act struck in that category Kyle, golf is an outdoor sport. Architecture is an outdoor sport. When you stand on the tee at Streamsong number five or Whisper Rock number eight, you sometimes have to remind yourself that there were animals here long before a golf course existed. Do you have any stories of kind of running into a certain animal or animals during your design times that uh, maybe frightened you a bit? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. That's one that I was not expecting. I got to think about that one for a second. You know, there was there was definitely some uh, some smaller alligators that we had running around on the uh, the Rio Olympic project out in, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. None of them that ever got uh, too aggressive. Although I do seem to remember uh, one of the, uh, the the landing poles out there for one of the the, the tee shots. I remember somebody getting a little bit of a fight with an alligator uh, <laughs> uh, after it got a, got a, got its teeth on it. So. Uh, but generally not too often. All right, Kyle, I want to leave you with this. You mentioned some of the greats in history, the C.B. McDonald, Seth Maynard, Donald Ross, Tilling Hass. If you could have dinner with any architect from the past, who would it be and why? You know, I think for me, um, boy, I, 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 some of my clients might, uh, might, might question me on this, but I think that all of them are really fascinating people, and it's interesting to, to learn about their design styles, the differences in their design styles, and the differences in the, uh, in the personalities. So it's tough to really narrow one in, but I've spent so much time here in the, uh, the, Pine, uh, the, the Pinehurst, Sandhills, and uh, studying Ross's style, again, going all the way back to working for Corinne Crenshaw on the restoration of Pinehurst Number 2, and then doing these projects on my own at Mid Pines, Pine Needles, Southern Pines. Um, I've spent so much time studying Ross, and I think his work here is is exemplary. It's it's really thought provoking. The more that you learn about it, the more you want to study it, and uh, that's really a hallmark of great architecture. I'm I'm paraphrasing Bobby Jones talking about St. Andrews, um, the uh, that 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 line. But the um, uh, his work here is really a cut above. I think that. The golf courses here, if you want to be a golf course architect, you really need to come and, and study them. And uh, and so I, I feel very, very uh, grateful and fortunate that I have worked on the projects that I have. And we continue to try and, uh, you know, learn from what he was trying to accomplish. The, the, again, the courses I have worked on here, um, they were designed to be completely different from each other. We've really tried to draft on that and make uh, really great different experiences that the, uh, the guests will, will come and see and, uh, and hopefully walk away and be like, you know what? I really need to play all of them. They're, they're all just that interesting. And that's, that's the hallmark of great art. I think Donald Ross really knocked it out of the park with, uh, with the palette that he had here. Well, maybe 50 years from now, 100 years from now, someone might say, I want to have dinner with Kyle Franz. Kyle, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.